0: It's Sunday, June 24th, I'm Eric Sorensen, and you're listening to The West Block. On this Sunday, ready or not, ready for pot. A big election promise delivered. Now comes the impact on Canadian society. Big questions on testing, growing, selling, and buying. We'll talk to the federal health minister. Then, Canadian tariffs to counter American tariffs start next week. What happens next as Canada-US relations take another hit? We get an American perspective. And MPs have gone home for the summer. We'll look back and we'll look ahead. But first, October 17th, the day Canadians start smoking up, recreationally and legally. Provinces, police, health services, vendors, all have four and a half months to get the rules and procedures in place. And you have four and a half months to, well, learn how to grow your own or maybe practice inhaling. Or will you wait for something edible? It's a big change. Joining us now from Moncton is Federal Health Minister Jeanette Petipa-Taylor. Thanks for listening to our show today. For the West Block, I'm Eric Sorensen. Have a wonderful summer. The West Block will be back for a new season in September. Hello, I'm Eric Sorensen and welcome to the West Block podcast for Sunday, June 24th. On this Sunday, ready or not, ready for pot. A big election promise delivered. Now comes the impact on Canadian society. Big questions on testing, growing, selling and buying. We'll talk to the federal health minister. Then Canadian tariffs to counter American tariffs start next week. What happens next as Canada-U.S. relations take another hit? We get an American perspective. And MPs have gone home for the summer. We'll look back and we'll look ahead. But first, October 17th, the day Canadians start smoking up recreationally and legally. Provinces, police, health services, vendors all have four and a half months to get the rules and procedures in place. And you now have four and a half months to, well, learn how to grow your own or maybe to practice inhaling. Or will you wait for something edible? It's a big change. Joining us now from Moncton is the federal health minister, Jeanette Petipa-Taylor. Minister, thank you for joining us. For all of our lives, we've been told to keep away from dope, um, even be afraid of it. And now that's all being lifted. What, as a health minister, What's your chief concern about this change that's happening?
1: We recognize that in Canada, we have amongst the highest um, rate of cannabis use amongst our youth in this country. And that is why that we are moving forward as truly we want to protect our youth. That's why that we are moving forward with strict regulations uh, and, and also to make sure that there is a set ages that are set here as well. So moving forward, we've made it very clear that the number one priority is to protect the youth uh, and to make sure that uh, they have restricted access to cannabis and also that the cannabis is regulated.
0: And I understand that the, the idea is to legalize is to protect kids and to protect communities but it's not like you're unleashing carrots all over the over, all over the country this is a, a drug that uh, that impairs judgment and physical dexterity and all kinds of things so do you have a concern because there's there just has to be an unknown about this when suddenly it's legal everywhere
1: My number one priority as Health Minister for Canada is absolutely the health and safety of all Canadians. And we certainly in no way are encouraging anyone to consume cannabis. But as I've indicated earlier, we recognize that there's a high rate of cannabis use in this country and that's why that we are moving forward with lifting the restrictions. But with that being said, we also recognize that we've learned from our friends uh, in the States and in other countries that have gone through legalization. And one thing that we are absolutely doing uh, before we get out of the gate with this is making investments in the area of public education and awareness because we certainly want to make sure that youth and Canadians are aware of the risks associated to cannabis use. So within budget 2018 we've invested a total of $108 million when it comes to public education and awareness and that work has started even last year and moving forward we're going to get we are going to continue with those campaigns. The other thing as well that I also have to add we've partnered with many organizations that do public education and awareness when it comes to to the area of substance use or misuse and with the partnerships that we've made there as well in providing them with some financial aid, they are also doing uh, much work in the area of public education and awareness. And furthermore, provinces and territories as well, I have to say, have made some investments in that area. I know, for example, the province of New Brunswick has rolled out their campaign a few weeks ago. So we're going to be seeing more of this information because we certainly want to recognize or we want to make sure that Canadians recognize the risks and the harms that are associated to cannabis use.
0: There, um, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of uh, interaction that will be new for many Canadians, or at least interaction with dope that maybe they haven't had in 40 or 50 years. Um, some will be growing it at home. There will be a legal battle over that. I don't want to get into that right now. But you know, what, what is your sense of how much will be grown at home and, and how people will understand whether there's, it's too toxic or it's too much impact on them? Well,
1: I think we have to recognize with Bill C-45 or the cannabis legislation, we've certainly wanted to make sure that we permitted Canadians to have the opportunity, if they so choose to provide or to to grow plants at home, that they would be able to do so, a maximum of four plants. But with that being said, provinces and territories may change that amount to, you know, even one plant if they so choose. So those are the types of things, the flexibilities that we've allowed provinces and territories to make those decisions on. What we see in the states, uh, we we haven't seen, when we look at the numbers there, there's not a huge amount of, of... people that have grown uh, cannabis at home. But I think we also have to look at people who make wine at home or beer at home. Uh, Some people will choose to do that, but the huge amount of Canadians, I believe, will want to go to a legal market uh, in order to get the cannabis that they so choose that they want uh, to purchase. So we don't see that there's going to be a a huge uptake, let's say, for people growing at home, but we also want to make sure that we have uh, a law that's consistent for all provinces and territories. And also we have to recognize that for the rollout of our cannabis legislation, I oftentimes say this is not an event it's a process and we certainly recognize that many provinces and territories will not have all of their stores uh, up and running uh, come October 17th so we also recognize for the issue of accessibility we want to make sure that Canadians will have uh, that option that they they would be able to legally grow cannabis in their home if they so choose and again I have to say I truly believe I'm confident that Canadians if they so choose to do it they will do so safely and responsibly just as they do when they you know make wine or beer or even grow tobacco
0: but what's your caution to Canadians who if they are going to try this they want to use it legally but they're also going to want to drive legally? and it may not be as clear just how much you get in your system at what point you're impaired if there are proper and really accurate tests for testing the the, the amount in a person's system what's your sort of advice to Canadians on that
1: Impairment is impairment and I can say that my advice to Canadians if they're legal adults that are you know choose that they want to consume cannabis don't drive that is the, the very simple message there uh, we recognize that there's impaired driving as a result of cannabis that happens now in our streets uh, and our police officers you know need to be equipped and are equipped in order to effectively deal with that but my very simple message to Canadians you know if you're impaired or if you smoke a few you, you consume cannabis uh, in no way should they drive
0: um, I asked a young person I said what are you looking for in this? this, because they, of course, have been exposed to it more recently, and and his question was, uh, what's the price difference going to be between what they're paying now, getting it illegally, and what they'll get in the future very quickly?
1: Well, we certainly recognize that if we want to displace the black market, and that's the other part of the objective of this legislation, is number one, keeping our kids safe and making sure that they don't have access to it if they're underage, and making sure that they have access to a regulated product. But the other thing as well, we want to displace the black market. And once again, if we look at our our cousins uh, in the states, we've seen that they've really been able to displace a significant amount of that black market. But to do so, we have to make sure that the price is competitive. So with respect to that, it's going to be, um, you know, from jurisdictions to jurisdictions, there's. Going to be uh, perhaps a bit of, a, of um, a difference but we certainly want to make sure that, that price consistency uh, is going to be very consistent with what's available now on the streets
0: well it's a it's a pretty big change for society i hope it's not a roll of the dice uh, thank you minister Petitpat taylor for joining us today u.s president donald trump suggests canada's prime minister is weak and that canadians are smugglers Clearly, playing nice but not giving in is getting on the nerves of the U.S. president. A war of words has escalated to a war of real consequences, tariffs both ways, and NAFTA hangs in the balance. What does the prime minister make of Donald Trump getting testy and turning on us? not uh, in a position to uh, uh, opine on motivations of, uh, of, uh, of the president. I'm going to stay focused on uh, the relationship that we're building, on defending Canada's interests, on uh, looking for ways to further push uh, the benefits of uh, improving and modernizing NAFTA. Answering carefully, in other words, let's not make things worse. Joining us now, Christopher Sands, Director of the Center for Canadian Studies at Johns Hopkins University in Washington. Chris, thanks for joining us. You and I have uh, talked about Canada U.S. relations for years. Um, it seems to me the relationship is at, at, as, really as low as I can ever remember it. What's the view from your side of the border? I, I think here it's, uh, it's also seen the same way. it's it, We've never
2: seen this kind of rhetoric. Certainly, if you go back, you can sort of look through the history books and see that. Uh, JOHN Diefenbaker AND JOHN KENNEDY DIDN'T GET ALONG. WE KNOW THAT THERE WAS THE FAMOUS, AFTER THE TEMPLE UNIVERSITY SPEECH, LESTER PEARSON WAS uh, READ THE RIOT ACT BY LYNDON JOHNSON. Uh, WE we KNOW THAT NIXON AND TRUDEAU, THE FATHER, DIDN'T GET ALONG. BUT ALL OF THAT WE KNOW FROM HISTORIANS, STUFF THAT WAS uh, ESSENTIALLY KEPT FROM PUBLIC VIEW. NOW WE HAVE A SPAT WHICH SEEMS TO BE PLAYED OUT FOR THE CAMERAS OR AT LEAST FOR TWITTER IN REAL TIME. SO WE'VE NEVER SEEN THAT BREACH OF PROTOCOL, THAT BREACH OF RESPECT.
0: Uh, in public like this before, Trump's mindset seems to be, "You have more to lose than we do." What's your advice to, to Canadian, uh, the Canadians, on how to deal with that?
2: Well, it's in a way, it's true um, because the U.S. is less dependent on the Canadian economy than Canada is on the U.S. economy. At the same time, though, what is Trump really trying to get? So much of the Canadian economy is open to U.S. trade now yes, he's raised Canada's dairy supply management as an issue, but the total value of that for U.S. dairy is marginal. We're risking the entire $2 billion a day trade relationship over what is relatively small stakes. And I think that's what strikes so many people in Washington as quite reckless about the Trump administration's trade policy. It's not—there's no sense of proportion that what we're—what we're threatening is worth what we stand to gain even if Canada buckles under and gives us everything we can dream of
0: so and what is the best way do you think to get uh, Donald Trump to understand that like will the counter tariffs help the you know from the EU and Canada and all the rest of it that like does it have to come from within the US to get that pressure moving up and saying look stop this I think Canada had to be like the Europeans and the Japanese
2: and really all the U.S. trading partners. They had to be part of the trade response. They had to take retaliatory measures. But I don't think anyone's convinced that that by itself is going to move the you know, U.S. public. What it might do, however is reinforce Canada's message with Congress and with some of the state governors that there's a tremendous amount that U.S. firms stand to lose if there's a disconnect with Canada.
0: Chris, is there anything that lies ahead, the Mexican elections in the next week or so, or the midterm elections in the U.S., that could change the equation of how this is working between Canada and the U.S.?
2: Well, I think both of them could be important. The Mexican election could bring a real change in the Mexican uh, negotiating strategy, and it could favor one of Donald Trump's frequent threats, which is to split the talks, say, do a U.S. bilateral with Mexico with the new president, and then suspend talks with Canada and come back to them next year. It's, It's something we're all worried about, but it works so well for Donald Trump's agenda, because you get Only American content can go everywhere in North America. That combined with the tax reform, it's a very America-first situation, and NAFTA's dead because you have two bilaterals that have taken its place.
0: And and it puts, I guess, pressure on the Trudeau government uh, heading into the election next year. I mean, that could have an impact, I guess, on our election timing? absolutely well you know the elections expected in october of
2: 2019 but if the prime minister feels that uh that we're in a crisis in canada u.s relations and that everything's at stake from the auto industry in ontario to uh, to energy in the west and uh and everything else in between i think he may well say he needs a strong mandate to be able to deal with Trump as Trump, uh, uh, an unparalleled threat to the Canada-U.S. relationship. And on those terms, he might well be able to be returned uh, with a majority. So in the last uh, 20 seconds here, how do you think it's going to play out? Well, I think uh, in the near term, they're hoping to revive talks after the 4th of July break and uh, see where they stand based on how the Mexican election came out. I do think there's a real risk that we're going to split the talks. But if the three sides can come together and actually see some progress, Everyone now realizes the stakes are so high, with a trade
0: war in China just over the horizon. uh, A deal is not impossible even now. Well, it's uh, some big news uh, yet to be made on this file. Chris Sands, thanks you very much. And up next, now that pot is passed, what's next on the liberal agenda? And for the conservatives and the NDP, we'll unpack the politics.
3: One of the best moments for me in the House this year was really the passing of Bill C-262. You know, really looking at how we're going to look at Canadian laws through the lens of the United Nations Declarations on the Rights of Indigenous People. To me that's a really positive step forward, it really talks uh, about what reconciliation really means. It provides an amazing framework. And it really is so important that Canadians understand this is about having Indigenous people at the table
4: and finally making that step forward. I think it's going to be the pushback that we gave the government on the small business tax changes that they made. We figured it out pretty much early on in August what was happening and just got so much support from across the country and it was something I think we can be proud of because we pushed back hard and we brought them from a situation where they said that people were tax cheats to agreeing the fact that these changes were too much.
5: The biggest accomplishment for me was acquiring the money to clean up a large boat that sank off the coast of my riding, it was called the Manolis L, And getting the money for that, getting it approved, this summer have a complicated scenario by which a company from the United States will be here in my riding and they will clean all that oil out of the boat for a permanent solution thank goodness.
6: For me it was getting uh, such cross-party support on the call for the papal apology for the residential schools. Uh, The willingness of people to work across party lines on that to me was a really powerful moment. The survivors want to hear uh, a clear answer. On the role of the Catholic Church and their obligation to come forward as a willing participant uh, in the process of reconciliation. And I think Parliament sent a very clear and respectful message that this work of reconciliation has to be done. I introduced a bill that would have um, changed
0: our disability assistance programs in Canada so that people who have disabilities can get jobs and earn income without having it all clawed back and taxed away. And uh, it was good to see
5: a
6: lot of parties uh, rally around the proposal, but uh, I was frustrated to see the government vote it down. The antics of Donald Trump, uh, the kind of sort of belligerent, thuggish, ignorant language that he used towards the prime minister, to me really raises questions about where we're going with democracy in the 21st century, uh, and it. it it also, how do you engage people in politics and say we can rise to, you know, the, the better angels of our nature when the leader of the, the biggest country in the world acts like, you know, a, a Facebook troll? To me, it's a question about the credibility of democratic engagement. Also, we we all get thrown off because we're not able to be holding the prime minister to account for the many issues and failings that we have in Canada because we have to rally around, this you know, to defy someone who just sounds like a, you know, acts like a drunk on a bus.
4: The biggest challenge would have to be the the constant um, reminding of the government that you do have to listen to the other opinions of the other lawmakers in the legislature. And we have to do that sometimes through making sure that we uh, filibuster and sometimes we have lots of votes but it's always making the point that it's not a dictatorship they do have to take other people's points of view.
5: You'd think in this uh, we thought that we were able to make some progress on changing the rules of the House for members of Parliament for members of cabinet and everybody in the House unfortunately we could not get that done and I think that the House of Commons of Canada needs to be modernized and I think we missed out on a golden opportunity. And I'm not saying it's the fault of any particular party, it's not the fault of the opposition, not the fault of the government, it was the fault of all of us. I just f- felt that we, for lack of a better term, we lacked the maturity by which we were able to make substantial changes to the House and modernize the House of Commons. And by lack of maturity, I take some of that blame too.
3: One of the interesting parts about being a Member of Parliament is you do all the important work here for sure, but it's also about the important work that you do in your riding. And I think for me, really one of the challenges was accessing services for Canadians like Phoenix and how many people in my riding and across Canada are losing their homes or having immense financial challenges. In my riding, I have one person who's still waiting for $40,000 back pay. Um, The other thing that has been a big concern for me is really looking at some of our families. We've had a lot of families coming into our office who are suddenly being audited around their child tax benefit. Now these are families that have been together, there's been no breakup in the family, there's been no children going into care, just everyday people trying to prove that their children are actually their children and that they're in their care. What I'm looking forward to is just being with the people in my riding. One of the best parts is going to community events, hearing from Canadians in my riding and the struggles and the
4: challenges that they're facing so that I can make sure their voice is heard here. I'm looking forward to going to the East Coast to visit lots of folks out there because you know, our party's making inroads on the East Coast and I like going out there and hearing what they have to say.
6: I'll be at a lot. of community festivals, events. I bring my guitar, I uh, I sing for the, the old folks in some of the homes, but uh, I just, I love getting out and being rooted where I am. I love the people of the north, and I'm a northerner, I'm going home.
5: Summers in Newfoundland are like festival city. It's like festivals everywhere. So you've got, to, my challenge is to get to every festival in my riding, that's the goal. And to that end, my goal is to also raise a lot of money for these festivals because for some odd reason, It's very popular to put me in a dunk tank and put me in the water. Usually it's over my head, they watch me struggle. I'm I'm a small man. So that's okay, that's fine. So my goal is to go to all the festivals, make money by sitting in the dunk tank.
0: Reflections from several MPs on their accomplishments and challenges the last few months. They've all left Ottawa for the summer, but with lots to think about. Joining us now to unpack where we are and where we're going, Tonda McCharles from the Toronto Star and Josh Wingrove of Bloomberg News. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Um, I want to set the table. It feels like in the four-year election cycle, we're at the end of the third quarter. Mm -hmm. Everybody's resting for the summer before they come out for the fourth and final quarter but you always want to know the score. What would you say, where are the parties standing now in the election we're held right now?
7: Uh, interesting analogy. I'd say uh, not quite tied, um, but close. It's a bit of a, it could go either way this game right now. It, it, I think a lot will depend on the next year, but the government's had a really rough past quarter. Yeah. let's say and uh, you know Josh is the basketball guy so you know <laughs> you might have another analogy but uh...
8: and it's a three team team context <laughs> yeah right? yeah yeah no and i'm uh, our parliamentary basketball team is terrible i want to i want to be, <laughs> be clear on that uh, you know i think uh, things are looking uh, less daunting for the opposition than they did. You know, uh, MP, or PMs in Canada normally win a second term, a second mandate of some kind. Mm-hmm. But Trudeau's, uh, you know, facing some uh, rough waters right now and many polls have shown the Conservatives tied or ahead. But I, I think we shouldn't get too ahead of ourselves. Uh, next in, in the next year, we're going to pivot more to looking at what the other parties want to do differently than Justin Trudeau. Uh, and that's sort of a core question heading into next year's election. And neither has really identified that, I think, right now. I think they're getting a boost because of just general malaise with government. That's normal at three years into a mandate. Uh, But I I think that both parties are going to have to stake individual ground if they want to take this guy down. And in particular, I think that'll be difficult for the NDP because the Liberals federally have done what viewers in Ontario will recognize happen provincially, which is move to the NDP's sort of traditional turf mm. and try to claim those voters as well.
0: well. Let's talk a little bit first about what, the, what they've done well, each of these parties, each of these leaders. Uh, Trudeau, I mean, I guess you can say thank you to Donald Trump for the kind of wide public support there is for him, at least on the Canada-U.S. relations side.
7: For now. Yeah. For okay. now.
0: And, okay, and uh, what, what, do you, what has he done well then, would you say?
7: Overall, well, look, I think certainly managing that relationship up until very recently, they have done well or as well as I think anybody could have. Um, But, and and they've gotten a couple of important bills through Parliament this year. A lot of attention's been paid to the cannabis legalization bill. Uh, We'll see what. Traps lie in the implementation of that down the road, but they've also passed a huge national security package which got very little attention. It's going to the Senate now, and uh, you know it'll get more attention there, I believe. But the the big piece, the big challenge, I think, remains um, an economic challenge, and and tied to that, because their fiscal hands are tied, they've run up a lot of deficit. Mm-hmm. That if auto tariffs, for example, are brought in, uh, and the government is forced to deal with a big hit to the auto industry you know that's going to be a big challenge politically for yeah. them a lot of jobs will be affected and i don't think that they are kidding themselves they got a little bit of a bump in the polls after the trump trudeau exchange at the g seven josh and i were there and um, you know yeah there's a little bit of nationalistic pride that surged but uh... they know that if jobs start uh... Being toss left right and center as a result of that relationship they're in trouble
0: yeah uh, let, me, let me switch over to Andrew Scheer mm-hmm. I mean uh, he, you know a lot of Canadians wouldn't recognize him on the street mm-hmm. and yet there he is in the polls competitive maybe even a little ahead of the Liberals what's he doing right
8: well I think they're capitalizing on you know a little bit of fatigue uh, among voters of, of you know Trudeau's push on things I, I think that, you know, when Kathleen Wynne lost the election, I actually didn't hear a lot of angst in Ottawa. I think that they felt that, you know, unpopular liberal governments nationally are dragging down the Trudeau brand. I'm interested to see what effect Doug Ford will have. I'm not sure mm-hmm. that he, it, it's a sign that Doug Ford's election happened. I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily a great omen for uh, for Andrew Scheer. Typically in Canada, we have an alternation. People like one party in provincially and the other part federally. So. We'll see. But listen, Andrew Scheer has been trying to sort of take a sort of lunch pail type message, an accessible message. I think a lot of people have pointed out that he's often rounding uh, corners on facts pretty substantially to try to take a dig at uh, at the prime minister. And, uh, you know, that's politics. Uh, But I think in the next year, he's going to have to stake out, like I said, more clearly defined. Positions, but you know, right now he's riding a wave of fatigue.
7: And and they and they have not presented um, positions on some of the very big issues, the climate change, carbon tax. All they do is oppose. They actually haven't put forward a plan. So that I think will become a challenge for them in the next year. Um, likewise, I don't find that they've put forward a coherent position on NAFTA. They have at times condemned Trudeau's handling of the issue, like the steel and aluminum tariffs, calling it a failure for Trudeau. Uh, and yet. Um, they're prepared to say we should give them a sunset clause, we should buy into ballistic yeah. missile defense just to get a deal. So I think that there are some challenges for Shear as well and for him to take a position that seems to align with Canadian public opinion, as has Rana, Ambrose and James Moore. They seem to be exp- espousing a more traditionally conservative approach to that issue. than. Andrew Scheer's led party is.
0: As we start to look ahead uh, what first of all let's just do quickly the NDP What does Jugmeet Singh need to do because he just isn't getting much traction?
7: Maybe get a seat in the House of Commons. You think? Yeah. Uh, yes. Do
0: you think he'll uh, do that before no, the election? No. No, no. no, I don't no. think he'll do it. I don't so, think there's much to gain from him doing so it. So are they just going to spin their wheels until the election?
8: I think that the Justin Trudeau show that you don't need to be in the House of Commons to make traction as a party leader. Yeah. I think that the NDP will have credibility if they can recruit good candidates. I think that'll be difficult if their polling numbers are low. Justin Trudeau recruited great candidates last election at a time when he was leading in polls, yeah. remember, roughly this time. But can the NDP get out of this
0: uh, what's seeming kind of a bit of a rut they're in right I now? I think that.
7: that he's had uh, almost, what, almost a year to do um, just that and I don't think actually he's showing that he's drawing any support yeah. anywhere. They, I they, think he would be well advised to take, a lot. change time.
0: And And uh, not a lot of time but for the Conservatives, what what pivot do you think we'll see from Andrew Scheer? What does he do now to, you know, consolidate any kind of gains that he's made so far
8: well I think he flexed his muscle a little bit with uh, Maxime Bernier so he's sort of now firmly in control of the party it's always growing pains when you win a close leadership there are Mm -hmm. factions Mm -hmm. and you're you're nervous about taking people off too much Uh, but I think we're gonna just try to see him put the focus squarely on Trudeau I think their their campaign clearly will be trying to make this election a referendum on Justin Trudeau and that is our best shot we're already seeing Trudeau's strategy try to make it about Harper, make Andrew Scheer look like Harper 2.0.
0: And what are you expecting to see from Trudeau?
7: From Trudeau, I think he's going to really need to double down on the... Uh, NAFTA economic file. He needs to take seriously some of the concerns of Canadian business that are trying to make in light of the corporate tax cuts in the US and the threat coming from the US that he has to make steps to make Canada and Canadian business competitive. Even if he sets aside the US he focuses on every they have to cut every corner and everything they can to make sure Canadian businesses have uh, some growth here and that other foreign investment has a place to invest here.
0: Well, uh, we're hearing a new, more confident tone from him. Maybe that's part of the pivot that he's already making. But
7: boy, uh, oh, he t- bought a pipeline. Maybe uh, he'll right. get that done, too. He should get that done.
0: <laughs> Tony McCharles, Josh Wingrove, thanks for joining us. I'm Eric Sorensen. Thank you for listening to the West Block podcast. For more, go to our website, thewestblock.ca. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.